And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, because you're going to need your Bibles, okay? This week, next week, we have Memorial Day, and so we will not have Discovery Hour next week. We'll come back. And so here's what I want you to do. You, I want you to bring your Bibles. And, and I would encourage you in this series to even have a print Bible because you can w- write in it. And we will be looking at some things that I think you will find interesting. So turn your Bibles to Genesis 25. That's where we're going to end up. But let me give you a little intro today as we look at this. Obadiah is that little prophet. Don't turn there because we're going to be in Genesis 25. But it's the shortest book in the Old Testament, as we've said. And it's really unique in one specific way, all right? And you have this in your notes. It's unique in that he is the only prophet that is entirely addressed to one of Israel's enemies. And that enemy is Edom. Here's how you remember, or at least here's how I remember, what the book of Obadiah is about. It is about Obed-Edom. So Obadiah, Obed-Edom. You like that? Yeah, it's good. So throughout the Bible, here's the thing. When you come to the book of Obadiah, throughout the Bible, God assumes three things, and they're pretty big assumptions on his part. One, that we read the Bible. One, that we read it repeatedly. And three, that we remember it. And the reason, the way you remember it is by reading it repeatedly, okay? And so when you come into a book of Obadiah, he is assuming that you know all about the history of the nation of Obadiah. And I'm not saying that we don't read the Bible, but we need a refresher course on what is the background of Edom. And so we're going to look at that because... If you look, just listen to in the book of Obadiah, in those 21 verses... Here's how God has Obadiah the prophet referred to Edom. It's referred as Edom only two times. It's referred to as Esau one time, the mountain of Esau four times, Otemen, which is a major city in Edom, one time, and the house of Esau or the descendants of Esau two times in contrast to the house of Jacob. And in fact, even in verse 3 of Obadiah, there's a reference to you hide in the cleft of the rocks, and the Hebrew word for rock sounds like Selah, which was the capital of Edom. And it now exists today in the ruins of the city of Petra. How many of you ever heard of Petra? Okay, it's a tourist trap now because it's an abandoned site because the prophecy of Obadiah was fulfilled and Edom has been cut off. But today, what I want us to do is look at the bitter roots of this family feud, this sibling rivalry between Esau, the father of Edom, and Jacob, the descendant of Abraham, and ultimately the man who became named Israel. So, very fitting to have this child crying as we're going to look at the battle of the bulge here in a moment. And so this is, this is very good. This will fit. The, so here's what I want to do. Today we're going to look at the man Esau. And next week, or in two weeks, we're going to look at the nation Edom. So here's what I want you to see. Edom's the forefather. Edom's forefather of the flesh is Esau. Physically, the forefather of Edom is Esau. And the forefather of Israel is Jacob. Therefore, in the, the little book of Obadiah, it's Esau versus Edom, which means, or I'm sorry, Esau versus Jacob, which also means Edom versus Israel. So here's you want to re- realize, and I'll get this mixed up, and, and you will too. Esau's the man, Edom's the nation. And Obadiah is about Obed-Edom, okay? Now, let's, uh, you're there in Genesis 25. Let's look at the physical forefather of Edom. Let's look at the, uh, the birth of Esau. Look at verse 21, Genesis 25, verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. So you got Abraham... The father of Israel, father of faith. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. 
Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations. So even before the boys are born, these are two nations are in your womb. And two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people will be stronger. That will be Esau and his nation Edom. And the older shall serve the younger. And the younger is Jacob, who was the second twin to be born. You only come out one at a time, even if you're twins. And... They will serve. So Esau is the firstborn, and he's going to be the stronger, and yet Jacob is going to be the secondborn, and he's going to rule over, which is the opposite of what what it should be for the firstborn, even though he's weaker and he's the secondborn. And then, uh, but notice what it says. Verse 30, drop down to verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff. We'll, we'll see the background of this. For I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. So there's the beginning. So Edom means red. Esau wanted some red stuff to eat. And therefore the name Edom. Uh, turn over to Genesis 36 verse 8. Genesis 36 verse 8. We see further connections between Esau the man and Edom the nation. Notice in Genesis 36, verse 8, Esau lived in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. So he's telling us, Moses is telling us, Hey, Israel, if you want to know where Edom comes from, it comes from, as a nation, from the man Esau. These are the records of the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in the hill country of Seir. And so, Seir, uh, in Hebrew, sounds like the word for hairy. And, and Edom, uh, Esau is living, the Edomites are living in the hill country. So, mountains of Esau is relevant in the book of Obadiah, the mountains of Esau. And mountains with trees on them looked hairy. And so, it was called the hill country of Seir. We're going to see in a moment that Esau was a hairy dude too. So, all these words are word plays. Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew language loves word plays. Look at Jacob. Turn back to Genesis 32. Here's where Jacob gets his name, Israel. Jacob, uh, in Genesis 32, 27 through 28. It's the story of Jacob is wrestling with the angel of the Lord, with God himself, uh, which I think is the pre-incarnate Christ. And here's what it says in verse 27. So he said to him, what is your name? Jacob says this. What is your name? And he said, that is God, or I'm sorry, God said this to Jacob. What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said this, God, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And uh, there's some controversy over even what Israel means. Some say strive, but also it means perseverance. You strove till, until you persevered. You strove, you struggled. And that's the history of the nation of Israel, is it not? A nation that has struggled and struggled according to the promises of God, waiting for the kingdom of God, and will prevail in the end. So spiritually, Esau is the forefather of those who live in the flesh, and Jacob is the forefather of those who live in the spirit. So we looked at the physical background of these two, the nation, but they also represent two kinds of people. Spiritually, Esau is the forefather of those who live in the flesh. And that's what the rest of this lesson's about. Jacob is the forefather of those who strive, but they strive by the spirit. So let's see this in the New Testament. We can even see this. Hebrews chapter 12. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, 15 through 17, and we'll get the New Testament perspective on the spiritual legacy of Esau. So Hebrews 12, 
15 through 17. We see here that Esau is the forefather of the flesh. Fleshly people who feed the flesh, live for the flesh, and bear the works of the flesh. So let's look at Hebrews 12, 15 through 17. So he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to us. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. We're going to see that in fact a whole nation was defiled by Esau's fleshly bitterness. That there may be no immoral or godless person like Esau. Okay, so, you know, it's one thing to have your name in the scriptures read for centuries. It's another thing to have this be the testimony. Let there be no immoral or ungodly person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single happy meal. Okay, that's not in there, but... There you go. For, for you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. That's the spiritual legacy of Esau. Now, turn to Galatians chapter 3, 5 through 9. Galatians 3, 5 through 9. We're going to see the spiritual legacy of the descendants of Abraham, descendants like Jacob. Notice Galatians chapter 3, 5 through 9. Notice what it says. So then, does he, God, who provides you with the Spirit and work miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even so, Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So what you need to understand, these boys are twins. So that means they're both physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. But only one of them is a spiritual descendant of Abraham. And that's what counts. Not being a physical Jew but being a physical and spiritual. And that's good news for us Gentiles who aren't Jews at all. We can be descendants of Abraham via his spirit, and we can be spiritual descendants. And that's the difference between Esau. Physical descendant, no spirit. Jacob, a sinner just like Esau, and we're going to see that today. Yet he received the promise of the spirit, and therefore ultimately was born again. So notice it says, by the hearing of faith, even so Abraham believed God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles, that's where us, by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, Those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And he's pulling in the Abrahamic covenant. I will bless those who bless you. He's leaving off. I will curse those who curse you. And that's why old bad Edom is in trouble because they are not blessing the covenant people, descendants of Abraham, and therefore they're receiving the curse. Now, there's more that we could read on that, Romans 4, uh, 13 through 16. But you get the idea. There is a physical lineage from Esau to Edom, Jacob to Israel, but there's also a spiritual lineage that we want to see. Today, I want you to understand that you'll never comprehend the book of Obadiah And you'll never get the animosity between Edom and Israel until you understand the man Esau. So let's look at Edom's family tree. It's filled with fleshly fruit. Or maybe it should be better. Edom's family's tree is filled with works of the flesh. So let's take a look at it. Here's how you understand. Uh, Turn uh, turn back to Genesis 25. 
Everything you need to know about Esau is basically nestled in uh, Genesis 25. And I give you the outline. The battle of the bulge. The birth of the boys. And the bargain for the birthright. That's the life of Esau. Okay, and that's what we're going to look at today. The battle of the bulge. Okay, my dad was went through that area. So that's fun for me. Okay, so ladies, you can call it the war of the womb, if you would prefer, if that would be more relevant. Look at Genesis 25, verses 19 through 23. Let's read that again. Now, these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. So father, son, Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, Aramean, I did practice that, of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Why? Because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And we're going to see twins. But the children struggled together within her. So even before they are born, these two brothers are battling. The battle of the bulge, the war in the womb. And they are struggled with her. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So she's not sure. You know, in those days, they didn't have the, uh, you know, the sonogram and, the, you know, you put it on social media. There's just something going on in here. And this is not comfortable. All right, ladies, I, I can't relate. I don't know. I'm relying on you. Shake your head. Yeah, it's, it, there's action in here. What is wrong? And so instead of going to the sonogram, she went to the Lord, you know, which is a nice idea. And the Lord said to her, well, here's the problem. The battle of the bulge is two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people will be stronger the other than the other. And so there's this wrestling. And the older shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Okay? And so you got these two nations. Now, the spiritual impact of what was going on physically is given to us in Galatians 5.17. Listen to Galatians 5.17. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So that warring of flesh and spirit that we experience as Christians was actually going on physically in the womb of the mother. So let's look at it. That's the battle of the bulge. Let's look at the birth of the boys. The struggle continues even in the birthing process. Look at uh, verse 24 again down to verse 26. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now, the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment. So Esau's a red, hairy baby. Just what every mother desires. Okay? And they named him Esau. Esau is a play on the word for hairy. So basically, the guy gets born and they call him Harry because he's hairy. Okay? I'm sorry, Esau, that's just bad news for you. Afterwards, his brother came forth with his hand holding on Esau's heel. So they're fighting in the womb. They're fighting through the birth canal. And baby Jacob is trying to yank back into the womb Esau so that he can be born first. And so when the midwife and the parents see this, it says... They name him Jacob because Jacob means heel grabber, schemer, the guy that trips you up so he can get in front of you. Okay, that's his name. And that's what's going on here. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. Okay, and so... Poor, I mean, poor Jacob and, and, and uh, or I'm sorry, Isaac and Rebecca. They, they, they got their hands full right now, for sure, okay? So let's look at this. 
Esau's birth, just in those verses that we talked about, Esau's birth is focused on his appearance, okay? Apparently, they weren't identical twins. It's focused on his appearance, his physical, animal nature. Esau sounds like Harry, and the nation is going to be called Edom, which is means red. Esau was a red, hairy person, and his nation is called red. Okay, reddish brown, Edomites, reddish people, the reds, hairy, seer, hill country, many trees. The, all of these words play back to their forefather Esau. All right. And here's the bottom line. You say, well, why is this important? Well, here's, here, here's the principle. Esau looked like an animal when he was born. And the sad thing is he chose to live like one when he grew up. Jacob, on the other hand, his birth focuses on his activity. We're not told about his appearance. We're told about what he did. He grabbed the heel of his twin brother. And Jacob can mean overreacher, deceiver, defrauder, supplanter, schemer. Not a wonderful name. Okay, these guys needed to go back to the baby book, okay, and do a little better. But they were accurate and they were true. And God, actually, they're like prophecies, really. And so he was a schemer who was always grasping for the best position, the first place, the best place, the place of blessing. And his name's not all negative. It can mean protector because you can trip up people and you can strategize in order to protect good and godly things. But most of all, Jacob's name, we talked about this last week, Jacob's name is changed by God when he encounters God and places his faith in God and he goes from schemer, he goes to Israel, one who strives and will persevere for God's blessings. So that's the birth of the boys. But if you really want to understand these two men and their nations that come from them, you want to look at the bargain for the birthright. So let's take a look at that in verse 27. So all of this is in these chapter in, in this one chapter. So the bargain for the birthright is in verses 27 through 34. Now when I say birthright, that means the right of the firstborn. So in that culture, if you were firstborn, you were privileged and you were given the right to rule the family. You were the family clan leader and you got a double portion of daddy's inheritance. And that was called the blessing. So by firstborn, you had birthright and you had blessing, a double portion. It was a great privilege and honor. Okay, Todd, is that still a great honor? No, exactly, exactly. All right, so here's what's going on. Nothing highlights, nothing highlights the struggle between flesh and spirit like this story, okay? Because here's, the, here's what I want you to see before we dive into it. Both the natural man and the spiritual man inherit a birthright. The thing is, as a natural man or woman, you get a physical legacy and birthright okay and that's sadly what we often focus on dna genetics you know who do you look like and all that kind of stuff and that's okay nothing's wrong with that but what a a greater priority is a spiritual birthright and the spiritual man or woman only gets that by being born again okay and that's the greater priority that's and we talked about that on mother's day The, the listen as parents as grandparents says, and just with one another, we're always wanting to develop that spiritual heritage, that spiritual birthright that comes from the seed of the gospel. So let's look at this story of the bargain for the birthright, and it's going to reveal the fleshly lifestyle of Esau. And we're going to see why his family tree is filled with works of the flesh. So here's what I want you to think. When you think Esau, you think living to feed the flesh. So I'm going to give you three ways that you can live like Esau and then tell you don't do that. Okay, so here's how Esau did it. Okay, living to feed the flesh. First of all, if you want to feed your flesh, live a lifestyle that appeals to the flesh. Live a lifestyle that appeals to the flesh. All right, we're still in Genesis 25. 
And the first thing I want you to see is the fleshly lifestyle. You say, well, what's a fleshly lifestyle? It's free of restraint, and it's full of excitement. Free of restraint and full of excitement. The flesh wants to live without limits, without boundaries. It wants to live with no authority over, and it wants to feed on excitement. What the flesh wants, or what the flesh lusts for, the flesh wants. And so we see this in verse 27. So in verse 27, fast forward, when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful skillful hunter, a man of the field, physical, see again, all physical. But Jacob was a peaceful man, a complete man, a stable, a secure man living in tents. Jacob had roots, and Esau was rootless, always roaming the fields. So Esau grew up loving wide-open spaces in the great outdoors. Well, what happens out in the outdoors? No boundaries, no responsibility, no limitations, no lines, but also no relationships out there. You're just out there in the wild. He was a wild man who loved to be in the wild. Here's how one uh, Scottish uh, biographer, Christian biography writer, here's how he described it, and I can't improve on it. Listen to this. Esau was full of the manliest interests and occupations and pursuits. He was a man's man. He was a, a very proverb of courage and endurance and success in the chase. He was the ruggiest, ruggedest, the brawniest, and the shaggiest of all the rugged, brawny, and shaggy creatures of the field and of the forest, among whom he lived and died. Esau had an eye like an eagle. His ear never slept. His foot took the firmest hold of the ground, and his hand was always full both of skill and strength and success. Esau's arrows never missed the mark. He was the pride of all the encampment. As he came home at night with his traps and his snares and his bows and his arrows and laden to the earth with venison for his father's supper. Burned black with the sun, beaten hard and dry with the wind, a prince of men a prime favorite both of men and women and children, and with a good word and a good gift from the field for them all. All the time, all body, no soul. All the time, a profane person who failed and fell short of the grace of God. He was a man of the world and the wild. He was a man's man. And he lived that way spiritually. He had a wild abandonment to his sexual desires. He married not one woman, not two women, but both Canaanite woman, women. And then he chose to marry his uncle Ishmael's daughter, bad choice, instead of line of faith through Isaac. He escaped from daily routine and responsibility for the thrill of the kill. And he was constantly searching for that next exciting experience that would satisfy and feed his senses. That's Esau. Jacob's lifestyle was boring by comparison. He lived in tents. He was stable. He had roots. He focused on the family. He was stable due to un- the unconditional promises of God that he would wrestle with and ultimately accept by faith. He was secure because of the unconditional love of God, knowing that God accepted him as he was. And Jacob was a mess, okay? He wasn't chosen by God because he was better, he was chosen by God's grace, and he responded to that grace. By faith. If you looked at their two lifestyles, I think, do I have that? 
Otter? Yeah, there you go. The two lifestyles. They couldn't be any more different. Insecure, secure. Unfulfilled, fulfilled. Incomplete, complete. Unstable, stable. Short range, I got you know, today, I got to go for the kill. I got I to I gotta satisfy my flesh. Long range, looking towards God's eternal purposes, God's eternal blessings. Pleasure driven, we're going to see that in a moment. Purpose driven, selfish priorities, spiritual priorities. Here's the bottom line. I already read to you and we looked at Hebrews 12. According to Hebrews 12, Esau's lifestyle could be summed up in two words. Immoral and godless. Okay? Immoral. No sexual boundaries or commitments, godless. No spiritual boundaries or priorities. So this fleshly lifestyle, free of restraint, full of excitement, the fleshly lifestyle feeds the flesh in all of us. So that fleshly life, all of us have a desire for that, okay? You know, in in, in a physical sense, there's nothing wrong with hunting. This isn't an anti-hunting passage, okay? It's not an anti-outdoors uh, person uh, passage. But our flesh loves that wildness. Our flesh wants to live without limits. Our flesh constantly wants to be satisfied regardless of what God thinks about it, okay? And so look at verse 28. Now Isaac loved Esau. Because he had a taste for game. Okay? Uh, So Isaac's like, you're my favorite because you satisfy my fleshly desire for game. And, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And boy, I tell you, you want a story of how favoritism in a family by parents will destroy a family. You have it right here. And this, this was driven by Isaac's, most of all, fleshly desire that he nurtured in his son. I want some venison. Go get me some venison. I want to hunt some venison. Dad likes venison. And you have all this going on. Isaac's favoritism toward Esau reinforced his natural bent to be a man of the world. Esau slowly, now here's the thing, Esau slowly began to lose his spiritual sensitivity, his spiritual values, and his spiritual priorities. Parents, you pass on your priorities, and ultimately they have to choose, and you're not responsible for that, but be careful what you nurture. Be careful what you nurture. Are you nurturing the values of the world, or are you nurturing the values of the spirit? And are you honest about your own fleshly desires so that your son or daughter is aware, hey, mom, dad has made mistakes, they have sinned, they have repented, and the better way to go is to follow the values of God. Isaac loved his son for what he did. You're a great hunter. Good. Isaac loved his son for the satisfaction of his own flesh. I like you hunting because I like eating what you kill. And Isaac's love was a selfish love that taught his son to love that which pleased the flesh. And we know from the scriptures that which pleases the flesh is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's Esau. Lust of the eyes. We're going to see in a moment. He sees some red chili bean soup. And he's like, I want that red stuff. And the flesh says, I'm hungry. I must be satisfied. And his pride in his ability says, I can set aside the blessings of God for later because I have the ability to overcome. I'm a mighty hunter. So let's take a look at it. Not only does the fleshly person live a lifestyle that appeals to the flesh, but secondly, they live for instant gratification of fleshly appetites. So when you begin a lifestyle that appeals to the flesh, you have now set yourself on a course that longs for instant gratification because the flesh doesn't wait. The flesh waits for nothing. The flesh says, I hunger, therefore I eat. The flesh says, I lust, therefore I pursue sexual release. 
the flesh says, I'm an isolationist, so I will stay separate from people. The flesh says, I'm an extrovert, therefore I'm always up for the party. I'm always going to, these are my pursuits, is to satisfy myself. And it can be intellectual things. It can be books. Uh, Kim's always accusing me of biblical or book idolatry. I don't know where she gets that. Where does she get that going? I, don't, I have no idea. So it, 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 you, can, you can lust for, which I don't, Kim, by the way, you can lust for all sorts of things that feed the flesh. And I do have to restrain. I, I, I'm serious. It is. It can, you can shop online. You could be a Costco, you know, flesh person. Not mentioning any names right now back there. Dane, you here today? Yeah, there you go. Okay. So there's all sorts of things that we pursue. I want you to just see that. I want you to see that don't categorize it just as Esau. The point is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Okay, well, let's keep moving. Let's look at it in verses 29 through 33. Here's the heart of the story. And here's where they really separate paths. Look at verse 29. When Jacob had cooked stew. Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there. Literally in the Hebrew, it's red, just red. Give me some red, you know, good chili bean soup. Okay. And I am famished. Therefore, his name is called Edom. Red, that's where he gets his name, Edom, red. So he's red and hairy, and he sees red bean soup, and he wants it, and he gets the name Edom. The nation is Edom. All right, so let's look at it. What happens? The fleshly person is the victim of his his or her physical appetites. Everything that goes down now is due to his fleshly appetite. The fleshly person is the victim of his or her own physical ap- appetites. So Jacob sets a trap for his prey. Now Jacob cooked a stew. He knew what he was doing. Esau's out hunting. He's going to come back hungry. I'm going to cook him some red stuff. Esau walks into the trap dissatisfied and unfulfilled because no matter how good your hunt is, when you come back living for the flesh, you always come back hungry. You always come back unsatisfied. You always come back unfulfilled. That's the vicious bondage of the flesh. And Esau walks into that trap and Esau becomes a victim of his own physical appetites. Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that, son, with that same red stuff, red stuff. So he's just like, here's this big red hairy guy who's just saying red stuff, red stuff. Red stuff. I want some red stuff. Give me some red stuff. That looks good. I'm hungry. Give me some red stuff. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Here's what happens. The hunter becomes the hunted. The free man becomes the slave of not only his flesh, but his brother. The strong man, the stronger one, has become weak due to his flesh. And the older will now serve the younger. Many a man and many a woman has become a victim of his or her fleshly appetites. And none of us are above it. The wisest man, Solomon, fell to his flesh. The godliest man, David, fell to the flesh. The strongest man, Samson, fell to the flesh. The tallest and most handsome man, Saul, fell to the flesh. The stronger nation, Edom, will fall to the flesh. Eve, in a perfect paradise, looked at the fruit, saw that it was good to eat, and ate it, fell to the flesh. So let me ask you this morning, how do you make daily decisions? How do you make daily decisions? Do you react on impulse, or do you respond with insight? So look there on that chart. And, you know, where am I? Where am I? Do I go with instant gratification? Am I constantly feeding my flesh? Or do I stop 
and think about eternity and I get wise insight from the Word of God, the Spirit of God, am I a consistent participant in worship here at LifeBridge so that I have once a week at the very least a spiritual perspective for my week ahead. Now, because the fleshly person is a victim of his fleshly appetites and lives for instant gratification, here's what happens. The fleshly person exchanges things of spiritual value for instant gratification. So, if you live for the flesh, you die by the flesh. That's the idea. You exchange the things of spiritual value for that which will bring instant gratification. So, look at verses 31 through 33. Jacob, the schemer, says, First... Sell me your birthright. First, sell me your birthright. He's looking long range. He's thinking spiritual. And Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die. Kids ever come in? Mom, I'm dying of hunger. And what's every mom say? You'll be fine. You'll survive. But this is what Esau's saying. Look, I am dying of hunger here. So what, of, what use then is my birthright? He's saying, look, if I don't get that red stuff, I'm going to die. No future spiritual birthright is going to be any good if I'm dead. Well, first of all, this is irrational. This is immature. And this is untrue. Esau didn't care. He lived for the moment. He needed the red stuff. And he sold it. He bought it at the price of his birthright. Then Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And what did he sell the the double portion of Abrahamic blessing for? Katie, a bowl of chili. Well, sometimes when I'm hungry, sounds pretty good. But no, 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 not in light of eternity. So listen, Alexander White says it again. This was not the first time that Esau and Jacob had exchanged words about that birthright. Understand, no man sells his birthright on the spot. He who sells his birthright sells it many times in his heart before he takes it so openly as to that market. He belittles it. He despises it. He cheapens it at any rate to himself long before he sells it so cheaply to another. No man and no woman falls in that fatal way with having, without having prepared their fall for themselves in their hearts. Esau had showed his contempt of his birthright a thousand times in a thousand ways before now. Everybody knew that Esau's birthright was for sale if anybody cared to bid for it. Isaac knew, Rebekah knew, and Jacob knew. And Jacob had for long been eyeing his brother for just the right opportunity. Listen, Jacob may have been a homebody, but he was nobody's fool. He knew he could trap his twin and to sell his birthright by appealing to his flesh, by offering him instant gratification, a bowl of beans. Now, let me stop right here, because if you're thinking, you're like, well, I don't know if I want to be like either one of these guys, okay? But here's what I want you to understand. While Jacob's methods were wrong, he was a schemer, his motives, his priorities were right. To attain that which was of greater value, the spiritual birthright, to be an heir of Abraham and the promises of God. Now, let me be very clear. The end never justifies the means. And Jacob and his family will pay a price for being a schemer. His beloved mother who favored him and whom he spent much time in the tent, he would never see her until the day she died, uh, even when she died. 
He would live apart from her due to his scheming. So I'm not saying the end justifies the mean, but Jacob, having paid a horrible price, but in the end, he valued what God valued. And he received the blessing of God, not by he works that he deserved it, but by the grace of God. Are you with me? So you can be a mess and get God's blessings because it's by grace, through faith, in the promises of God. So no one. So that means Esau wasn't beyond it either, but he didn't exercise faith. So what are you living for? What am I living for? Instant gratification, a bowl of beans, or delayed gratifications, the blessings of eternity? I love the death of God's saints because it's that reminder to me. That it's better to go with the delayed gratifications of God's blessings. No regrets tomorrow morning. No uh, despair. Because Virginia lived for that which was of greater value. Was she perfect? No, no, no. Was she a sinner? Yes, yes, yes. Sinner saved by grace. But someone that went for that which was eternal rather than the bowl of beans. How do you live? How do I live? Finally, the feeding of the flesh attaches no value to the things of God. Look at verse 34. Look at verse 34. Jacob says, swear, so he swore. And then look at verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil soup. There's the bean. Beans. He ate, he drank, he rose, and he went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. See how quick? It's just, it's all short verbs in the Hebrew. He, he, red stuff, red stuff, red stuff, red stuff. And then, boom, boom, boom. And I'm out the door. And guess what he was out the door to do? To feed the flesh. Because it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. Fleshly living places a higher value on pleasing oneself than seeking the things of God. Red, red. There he does. That's what he does. Now, let me give you the stages of despising one's birthright. If we look back at what we've studied, it really comes down to this. Stage one, treat spiritual things as worthless. Treat them as worthless. Think of them as, I can always go to church. I don't need to go today. I can always read the Bible. I don't have to read the Bible today. I can always witness. And then somebody dies. And the witness opportunity is gone. Treat as worthless. Second stage, hold in contempt. Hold in contempt. He ate it. He drank, and he left to hunt down the next pleasure. Third, the root of bitterness. The root of bitterness. Later, Esau will want the blessing. Jacob tricks him out of it again. And all of a sudden, Jacob realized, because we all come to that point, often on our deathbed where we realize, oh my gosh, I have made a bad trade in life. I have made a bad deal in life, and Esau wept, and he sought repentance, and the time for repentance was gone. Why? Because he didn't have, he had fleshly repentance. It was regret. It wasn't repentance. It was, oh, I'm sorry for what I lost, not for what I did. Oh, I'm sorry for what I won't get. He didn't repent for what he wouldn't do. The root of bitterness. We're warned about that in Hebrews. And then the fourth stage is the legacy, legacy of fleshly works. The legacy of fleshly works. Therefore, his name was called Edom. He left a nation that despised the people and the things of God. That's why in Obadiah 2, the second verse of the verse, it says, Behold, here's what God says, Behold! I will make you small among the nations. 
you are greatly despised. The book of Obadiah is all about reap what you sow judgment. And so Esau, thousands of years earlier, rejected and despised the things of God. And ultimately, the nation that came from his loins is going to be despised and cut off by God. Is it any wonder that this nation is called Esau by Obadiah? Is it any wonder that it's called the mountains of Esau and Seir, the hairy ones? So here's what I want you to see this morning. We should all probably take some time to look at this chart and to think through, uh, you know, where, where are we? You know, where are we in our lives? What is our spiritual birthright and what is the trade-off? What's my bowl of beans? What's your bowl of beans? It may be a literal bowl of beans. It was for Esau. But what is your bowl of beans that you're willing to trade the blessings of God for? Here's the good news. It says, read Isaiah 53. Here's the good news. Jesus is our sinless sacrifice so that we don't have to be an Esau. Here's the good news. Christ became a curse for us. Christ was crucified for us. And if you are in Christ Jesus, your flesh has been crucified. Your Esau has been crucified. And therefore, you have received the gift of the Spirit as a free gift by faith. And you can walk in the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit, God promises you will not satisfy and do the works of the flesh. Isn't that good? So, basically, you're either an Esau or a Jacob. Both needed the grace of God, but only one repented and placed his faith in the promises in the person of the coming Messiah. Isn't that good? Sobering. What's your bowl of beans? Let's pray. Father, we come, and it is humbling, and that's what the book of Obadiah is about. The flesh hates a lesson like this. The flesh wants to avoid hearing this lesson. My flesh wants to avoid it. But Lord, may your spirit pierce our hearts. May we see the eternal blessing, the eternal benefit of living by your spirit and not by our flesh. Lord, raise up a tribe of men and women who are of the house of Jacob, the house of Israel, who put their faith in the Son of God and live by the Spirit of God for the glory of the Father of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.